if you guys have your Bibles with you this morning. I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, we're going to begin uh, just reading from Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. And, uh, and on, if you want to join me there. Matthew 20, beginning at verse 29. So now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. Behold, two blind men sitting on the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. They cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood and called them and said, What would you have me do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes might be opened. So Jesus had compassion. And he touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. And now when he had drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. And he said to them, Go to the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And should anyone ask you anything, you will say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately... He will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the full of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread out their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the, and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame, they came to him in the temple. And he healed them. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, And have you never read, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Father, as we just come before your word this morning, as we open it, Lord, we just pray, God, that our hearts would be ready, willing, able to receive the word that you have for us. God, as we desire your spirit to move, God, you to speak, we ask that you would just go before us. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that we might receive, God, and And be that fruitful soil that Jesus spoke of that bears forth much fruit. God, we pray as you go before us, that you open our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at the scripture before us this morning, 
There's three things that we're going to see as we go through these stories. We're going to see Jesus' compassion for all the people. We're going to see Jesus' coronation. And we're going to see Jesus cleansing the temple. And as we look at those, we go through this section of Scripture, they all tie together really nicely. You see, here is Jesus on His way to the cross. He's not on His way to anything else. He's days away. Days away from the cross. And as He makes this journey... Everything laid out for us in Scripture is given to us for a purpose, to help us see, to help us realize that even here as a person who's getting ready to face the most incredible thing anybody would ever face, not necessarily the cross. People have felt pain before. People have been hurt before. The Son of God had never known separation from the Father. And there was coming a time when he would cry out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time in eternity, he would be separated from his father as he became sin. No, not, sin not, not that he took your sin, while well, that's true. He became it. The only holy, pure, perfect being in the universe became sin for us. And as he's headed to that place, these three things we see, and they're very different from the things we see in the world today. First one is his compassion. His compassion for the people. Now, seeing that this is what he's facing, this is where he's going... And you begin to hear the cry of these fellas who are on the way as he leaves Jericho. Jericho, guys, was a place where the blind would go. Because in Jericho they made an eye salve. And they were hopeful that this eye salve would be able to heal their blindness. So it's not uncommon that you would find blind people there. But as Jesus is leaving that area and he's heading toward Jerusalem, we run into these two fellas, these two fellas that are crying out to him. And they cried out to him, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. And we come to this phrase, son of David. We're going to see that phrase all the way through. We're going to see it in his coronation. We're going to see it prior to the cleansing of the temple. And we see it here in his compassion. They call out to him, son of David. What's that all about? Listen, the scripture lays that out for us. That this is a title of the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King. Listen, the word Mashiach, Messiah, just means anointed one. The one who has been anointed. Remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus? The Bible says he recognized who he was because he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him and remain. He saw the anointing. And so he would point to Jesus and say, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. He said, there he is. He's the anointed one. He's the anointed one. The title for the anointed one was the son of David. And we get that, guys, because the scripture lays it out for us. In 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David has come to a time, he's, he's excited of all the things God's done, and he begins to look around in his life, and he says, man, I got a really nice house. 
cool palace, lots of rooms, you know, I got everything anybody could ask for. But he looks over where people worship God and there's this little tent. And he says, man, I got a nicer house than God has. I'm going to build him a house. I'm going to build God a temple. In fact, he even bought the property for which the temple would be placed, to the place where it would be put. When he bought it, the guy said, what are you going to use this for? And David said, I'm going to build a temple to God here. And the man says, oh, forget it. You don't have to buy it. Let me give it to you. David said, nope, I'm going to buy it because I will not give the Lord something that costs me nothing. That's what sacrifice means, right? It's hard for there to be a sacrifice. If it it doesn't cost you anything, it's not a sacrifice. Well, the Lord comes to David and he says, he says, actually, David went to Nathan the prophet and said, Nathan, is it cool if I build a temple? And Nathan the prophet said, yeah, sounds good to me. It sounds like a good plan. He gave him his okay. Later on, the Lord came to Nathan and said, Nathan, you got to go tell David no. He's not my guy to build the temple. But you tell him this. I'm going to build him a house. I'm going to give unto him a seed who will never not sit on the throne for him. I'm going to give him the anointed one. The Messiah would be the son of David. You remember Jesus, he's always getting asked questions by the Pharisees, right? They're always trying to trip him up. You know, like uh, how many angels can fit on the head of a pin? Or they'd ask him, can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? You know, self-defeating questions. Well, it's maybe not word for word, but the same concept. He's laying out these ideas. They're laying out. Jesus asked them a question one time. He asked them a question. Following along the lines of this this same concept, when we think about the the son of David and who is the son of David. In Mark uh, chapter 12, verse 35, And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say the Christ is the son of David? Now the Christ, that's the Messiah, the word for Messiah, the Christ. Why do they say he's the son of David? For David himself said of the Holy Spirit, The Lord has said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is it then that he is his son? The Lord laid it out to them. They're constantly asking him, Tell us plainly who you are. Jesus would go so far as to say in John chapter 8, Unless you believe that I am eternal God, you will die in your sins. Now, I don't know how much plainer it gets than that. That's as plain as I can possibly state anything. But they're constantly asking. They're constantly going. So Jesus says, Explain to me this idea, the son of David. Why do you say the son of David should be the Messiah when David called him Lord? Because David knew that the Messiah was going to be both. Two things, right? What? He's going to be holy God and holy man. He's going to be everything. He's going to be all that encompassed together. The fancy word in theology is a hypostatic union. The hypostatic union simply means that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Embodied together. And that is pictured in that phrase, the son of David. That he is both the Lord and he is the man. In Isaiah... Chapter 9, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. 
For you have multiplied the nation and increased his joy, and they rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of the burden, and the staff of his shoulder, and the rod of the oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from a noisy battle, and garments rolled in blood, will be used for burning and the fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. For upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward and forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. All that is wrapped up in that concept, that title, that name that they use toward Jesus. These, two, these blind guys. Scripture tells us there's two of them. And they're there and they're calling out son of David. Son of, that's what they're saying. Oh Lord, son of David, the anointed Messiah, the one given to us by God. That one whose name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the title. That's what Son of David means. So as these guys come to him and they're proclaiming their faith, they're proclaiming their trust. But look what they ask. They say, have mercy on us, O Lord. Listen, the work of the Messiah is mercy. The work of the Messiah is mercy. It's his compassion. Well, we know because in the very next verse, the people said, make these guys be quiet. I mean, we're busy. We're headed down to Jerusalem. This is important. You know, this is Jesus. Don't you know who this is? He's an important guy. You know, he's got a lot of things to do. So here we go. So the people say, make them quiet. Make them be quiet. Make them quiet down. Well, but Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What would you have me do for you? Listen, the scripture said, while they were calling out, it says the multitude told them to be quiet, so they cried out more. Oh, Jesus, son of David, Hamashiach, the anointed one, the one sent to us from God, God in the flesh. That's the proclamation these blind guys were making of him. And so Jesus asked, what do you want me to do? Look what it says in verse 34. So Jesus had compassion on them. Man, a compassionate Jesus. This is who Jesus Christ was always reaching out to. The ones everybody else said, forget about them. They don't have no place. They don't fit. They don't, they're, not, they're not part of our crew. They don't fit. So they were called the blind and the lame, the deaf and the dumb, the ones that society had put out. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The problem is the scripture declares to us that we're all sinners. But if you don't think you're a sinner, it's hard to call you to repentance, isn't it? If you don't know you have a need, you're not out there calling, Oh Lord, Son of David, help me, have mercy on me. In reality, Jesus Christ is headed to the cross as the Son of David having mercy on all the nations. He's going to have mercy on everyone. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He's going to die So that all the world has an opportunity to be saved. Even though they're not in the streets saying, have mercy on us, son of David. But the two blind guys were. 
And Jesus, listen, is always moved by compassion. What is our motivation? Our motivation, justice? Is our motivation, what? What is it? The Lord, his motivation was compassion. That should be what compels us. That should be what drives us forward. Compassion for people. Compassion for people that aren't welcome in. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples. How? By your justice, by your judgment, by how much money you have in the bank, by the clothes you wear, the fancy hats you got, the cool sunglasses. Nope. He said, you, they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. They'll know you're my disciples by your compassion. The first thing we want to see in this section is that, that compassion of Christ. And as he goes from that place with that compassion, he touches them, they receive their sight, and then what's it say? And they what? Followed him. That's the definition of a disciple. They followed him. A follower. Remember I told you there's three kinds of disciples we see in Scripture. There's a disciple that's just that listener. They come and they listen to the nice words. Then we also have the second one, which is a, a convinced listener. A convinced listener is thinking, yeah, you know, he's right. But then there's not only that convinced listener, but there is the follower who desires to learn. That's a disciple. We, we see them called disciples in all three groups. But only one of the three groups would pick up their cross daily and follow him. These two blind guys, they have an understanding and they follow the Lord. Perhaps they're there. Just think about it. Perhaps they're there. The, the, one of the first things they're having been blind eyes are going to see is a crucifixion of Jesus Christ in a few days. They followed him all the way to the cross. Perhaps they were there in the upper room. When they prayed with one accord and the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost, as they preached the message that Jesus Christ has purged us of our sin. Perhaps they were there because they followed him. Jesus is calling to us today. Will you follow him? Listen, the first thing he comes to in chapter 21 is his coronation. Now it says, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying, go to the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything, you just say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately they will send them. Jesus at his coronation, as he's entering in, he's having the big party. Here it is. The day of the Lord. This is it. The day. The day that God had planned and spoke about in the Old Testament. The day that he told him about in Daniel chapter 9. The day when Messiah would enter in. The one day when Jesus doesn't tell everybody to be quiet. The one day when Jesus lets them speak. In fact, when the, the, when the Pharisees come to him and say, you need to make them quiet. Jesus said, I tell you, if these were silent, the rocks would cry out. It was the day. At his coronation, he sends for a donkey. How much do you think that cost? I don't think it cost very much. 
You have any idea how much our president spends on his coronation? You think he'd be caught dead riding into Washington, D.C. on a donkey? Well, that's below my station. Well, let's not be too hard on him. It was below Caesar's station. It's below any leader of the nation's station. But the maker of the world wasn't below his. So he had him bring a donkey for his coronation. Not even a big old white horse. The, the, the coronation of a conquering king. He didn't come that way. He came with the coronation of peace. Coronation of peace. The rabbis used to teach in those days, if the nation was ready for Messiah, he would come back on a white horse. If they were not, he would come on a donkey. Interesting insight. So they come. Jesus comes. They, they go. The scripture tells us that they did ask him. Because wouldn't you? For example, you had your donkey parked out front. And some guy just walked up and untied your donkey and started to walk away. You're not going to ask him? Brother, where are you going with my donkey? And his only response was, the Lord needs him. Now whatever occurred in this guy's life who had that donkey, whatever happened... Hearing the Lord has need of them, he just said, well, then the Lord ought to have them. It's yours. He let it go. I'm betting that he wasn't holding so tight to that donkey that he was willing to lose everything for the donkey. And I'm betting that when he heard the Lord has need of him, he was more than happy to allow the Lord to use him. He was only going to ride him one time. A couple miles. Into Jerusalem. Saying goes among the rabbis that the first person to ride a donkey, the first time that donkey's read, they say that that donkey was made for that person. It's kind of like when you buy a car and you sit in it and the fellow says, you're made for this car. This car's made for you. The same idea. See, the Jews would do the same thing. Maybe they were donkey salesmen. I don't know. (laughs) But in this particular case, in this particular case, truly, It's a donkey upon which no one had ever sat. The first one to sit on it's going to be the creator of the world. Somehow I think that donkey had a better idea of what was going on that day than most of the people who were watching. The coronation of Christ as he comes in the city on a donkey. It says in verse 4, And all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Man, it's, it's amazing. In fact, when we actually look up Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Rejoice, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. And he's lowly riding on a donkey. And the attitude of Christ. If you, if you turn to the, to the right in your Bibles until you come to the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, there's just this incredible section of scripture. Beginning at verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, So let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus 
who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So listen, this is what it means in Bible speak. You want this attitude in you. Jesus Christ, who is God of very God, did not consider his deity something to be grasped or held on to. But he made himself of no reputation. He is lowly, riding on a donkey. He humbled himself. People in seminary will argue the rest of eternity over what is meant by the phrase, he made himself of no reputation. Bible's clear that Jesus was fully God and fully man all the time. But there was something he did, there was something in this kenosis, in the, something pictured in riding this donkey, this humility. You know, at the same time, that very same word, the Greek word for emptied himself or made himself of no reputation, is the word kenosis. Now, outside of the Bible, we can find kenosis used another way. In the Roman army, the, the best fighting man in the Roman army was a centurion. They called him a centurion because he was over a hundred other men. The nearest thing that I can equate it to in the military is master guns. When, when I was in the military, you did not look for the dude who had the shiniest uniform and the nicest creases when you were in the trench. In the trench, you looked for the dude who looked like he'd been run over by a truck. He's beat up, he's scarred up, and he's still going. He was master guns. He was the man. Everybody else was some shadow of the man. I don't want to put down anybody else, but as far as I'm concerned, our military's messed up. They pay the wrong people too much. I know guys that retired from master guns. In the, in the Bible, master guns equals centurion. Get that in your mind. Now when the centurion would go into battle, this would confound the enemies that they fought. Because the first person you want to try to kill is the guy who's calling the shots for the hunter guys that are gathered together in that phalanx as the Romans would run and the, and the battles that they had. So the centurion, when he brought his hundred men together and he put together his phalanx, that's a group that through which they would fight. They got it all from Alexander the Great. As he comes into that, before the battle, he would stop. Now, he had the coolest uniform. He had a coolest uniform, man. He had that Roman cool armor with the red on it. I mean, it was slick. He looked good. But when he come to battle, he stripped it all off. And he looked just like everybody else. And then he took his place in the front of the phalanx and he went into battle. And the enemies that were fighting had no idea that the guy standing in the front holding the shield was the key to the whole thing. And they called that the kenosis. The emptying of himself. The stripping off of his insignias. The outward signs of who he was still on the inside. But you can take Master Guns, pull his sleeves off, you throw him in a platoon with a bunch of guys, and I can tell you who they're all listening to, who they're all following. Jesus Christ is that for us. 
The kenosis, he takes off his insignia, the outward example, the outward symbol of the fact that he is deity. The only time he reveals it a little bit is on the day when he stands before uh, Peter, James, and John at the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's glorified before their eyes. That's the only time, for a brief moment, they see the outward sign of the inward glory of Almighty God. At his coronation... He came to us riding on a donkey. Didn't cost a dime. The King of kings and Lord of lords, maker of the universe. And he says, let this mind be in you. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. If Almighty God could humble himself, can we? If Almighty God can have compassion on the multitudes, can we? Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Follow me. The scripture goes on to tell us as they, as they are entering in and as he's coming through on this on this donkey. As soon as he appears, immediately they take their clothes and they throw their clothes over the donkey and they begin to throw their clothes down on the floor in front of the donkey. Now, I admit to you that this is a little bit mystifying for me. There have been times I looked at my children when they come home from school and I'm sure they have done the same thing. (laughs) They threw their clothes down in front of a donkey, let the donkey run over it a few times. Brand new pair of jeans, been worn for five seconds, come home, holes in them. How'd you get holes in your jeans? I'm just wearing them. Or, I don't know. Now, you never heard that from your kids, have you? Were you in your pants when they got holes in them? Why, yes, I was. But you don't know how they got holes in them. It's a miracle. But a little bit of study in 2 Kings chapter 9 A prophet goes to see a guy named Jehu. And the prophet says to Jehu, you have been anointed king over Israel. And his buddies all come to him and they say, hey, what did the prophet say to you? And Jehu's like, well, you know, know, nothing. And they said, no, no, tell us, what did the prophet say? He said, well, the prophet has said that I have been anointed king. And immediately, all the guys who were Jehu took off their, their coats and their cloaks and their robes and they threw it over the top of the, the, the animal that he was riding and they on the ground before him as he rode into Jerusalem proclaiming him as king. As soon as they were doing that to Christ, the people were saying the same thing. Behold, Jerusalem, your king has come to you. And they're recognizing him as king when they throw those things down. Part of the feast, they're coming into the time of Passover. Part of the feast of Passover leads us to the feast of weeks, Shavuot or Sukkot. Sukkot. And as they're coming into Sukkot, they would cut down branches and build tents. And they'd live in the tent outside of their house and celebrate. It was a time of rejoicing how God washed out for them while they were in the wilderness. Well, here they got all these branches cut 
And they would take those branches to celebrate, to rejoice, and they would wave them at the conquering kings when they would return. The Maccabean revolt, we saw the exact same thing happen. So they take these palm branches, and they're waving them in front of Jesus, and they're laying them down on the road, and they're laying down their clothes, and all the people are proclaiming Him to be their conquering king. They think he's coming in and he's going to wipe out what's wrong. Listen, they think their problem is external. Most of us, if we're honest, think the same thing. My problems are external. Jesus came to say your problem is internal. Your problem is a problem of the Spirit. It is a problem of repentance. It is a call to turn from sin. To change your life from the inside out. They're looking for him to change life from the outside in. And at the coronation, they're proclaiming that. As they wave the branches, as they call out his name. But then it says in verse 9, The multitudes who went before those cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. There's that phrase again. Hosanna. Hosanna was, is a word that you would use if you were perishing. If you were about to plunge off a cliff or go down for the last time in the ocean and you were looking for someone to save you, you would shout, Hosanna. It means save me. Save now. Hosanna. But it comes to mean, as the people would use it, when they use it especially in terms like this, Around a king, it comes to mean the same thing that we see when people said things in the old days. Remember, God save the queen? Or God save the king? The attitude, that, that proclamation of the kingship, both are true in this place. Both are true. For the one who has come with salvation in his hand to give them everything that they need to set them free is also the one that they are proclaiming as their king. Hosanna, save now. A proclamation to the royalty of Jesus Christ. And then it says, And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? At his proclamation, we see also the, the praise of the people. And the people praised him for three things we'll see in Scripture. Three reasons that they praised him. The first reason is because of the miracles that he did. Because of the miracles he did. Listen, if we look at uh, Luke chapter 19, which is a parallel account to what we're reading today. Luke chapter 19 says, Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives... The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They praised Him for the works. Now we want to know, what works? Was it healing the blind? Was it doing those specific things? Listen, when we look at the Gospel of John, in John chapter 12... It tells us what was going on. John chapter 12 verse 9 says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. You see, just a few days earlier, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. 
In fact, the scripture goes on to tell us as we continue uh, at verse 12 in John chapter 12. It says, The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming, took up branches of palm trees and, and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he found a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, sitting on the donkey. And the donkey's colt, his disciples, did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered these things were written about him, and that he had done these things to him. Therefore, listen, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. The people are falling and and they're screaming and they're excited because they had just watched a few days earlier a man raise the dead. So they're praising him. This is the king. He's going to set things right. How can you defeat the guy? If, if, If your leader of your army who's in charge of your army can raise the dead, how can you lose? Man, we go fight. We'll whoop the Romans. If a couple of us die on the way, don't worry. Jesus will come by and raise us from the dead. They're excited. They're proclaiming, Hosanna, save us now. Now is the time. Let's go. Because of the miracles that they had seen. But the greatest miracle was yet to come. They also praised him because he was the son of of David. He was Messiah. Hosanna, son of David. Save us now, son of David. We just went through those things. They quote from the Psalms, the Hallel Psalms, the Psalms of victory. They say, man, this is it. This is he. He's the Messiah. So they're praising him because he's the Messiah. They're praising him because he raised the dead. And they're praising him because of the message that he gives. Listen, they said all the city was moved saying, who is this? And so they answer. So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And there's so much there. Jesus the prophet. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 18. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, and him you will hear. The scripture lays out in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that the Messiah, one of the titles of the Messiah would be the prophet. The one who comes and speaks the words of God. The one like Moses who leads the people from deliverance. He takes them from the chains in bondage to sin and he sets them free. And so they look at this and they call him. They're saying, hey, the message, we know who he is. He's the prophet from Nazareth. Nazareth of Galilee, which the scripture declared is the area from which Messiah would come. He would be born in the city of David, a son of David, that he would come from the Galilee... And it's interesting because Nazareth or Nazer means the branch. And the Lord said, I will raise up a branch of righteousness. The Nazer, the Nazarene, Jesus, the branch from Nazareth. They're showing all these things. They're they're understanding, but their understanding is darkened. Their understanding is darkened because they expect that he is going to go. And deliver them from all the outside problems that they have. Anybody want deliverance from the outside problems that we have? I'd like it too. 
But God has come to set you free from your internal problem. Well, the outside problems, they're going to go. They'll come and go. They'll be here today, gone tomorrow. But when the inside problem is dealt with, when the problem of sin is dealt with in your life, then you can spend eternity with God. And He come to set us free. He come to set us free. At the end of His coronation, look what it says in verse 12. He comes to cleanse. And Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Jesus went into the temple. Whose temple is it? The temple of God, right? He went to the temple of God. It's funny because a lot of people in church today, they say things like, well, you know what? They, they should not make merchandise of the house of God. Well, let me help you on that. The church is not the building. This used to be a store, for crying out loud. <laughs> I'm probably standing right now, if, if God is, is uh, the kind of funny guy I think, I'm probably standing right now in the, in the alcohol section of the store. <laughs> the, the beer was probably right back there. And I hear people say, don't run in the house of God. It's a house of Ridley's, man. <laughs> Do you know where the house of God is? It's in you. The church is us, the people. The stuff is just stuff. And as much as I want to take care of stuff, I don't care about stuff all that much. The carpet will wear out. Someone will spit their gum in one of them chairs that's all new and they'll have gum stuck, stuck on it. What have you done to God's chair? Man, them chairs came from church chairs for less. That's not God's chair. It's God's people that are sitting in them. The temple and the church is not the same thing. The temple is the presence of God, where God dwelt among the children of Israel. The Bible says your body is the temple of God. That's the correlation. Amen. You with me? Yes. That's the correlation. Your body is the temple of God. Jesus comes into the temple of God, and he's going to cleanse it because there's all this junk going on. Look what he says in verse 13. So he said to them, it is written. What's next? Say that again. Whose house is it? God's house, right? He said the temple of God in the prior verse, and now he says, whose house? My house. He says, it's my house. What does that make him? There's no jumping around it. It's everywhere on every page as we look at the life of Jesus Christ. He went into the temple of God, and then he said, my house shall be a house of prayer. Why does he have the authority to cleanse the temple of God? Because he is God. That's why he has the authority to cleanse the temple of God. He comes to tell them the priority of prayer. Listen, this is what they were doing. On the Mount of Olives, as the people would come down the Mount of Olives, if they traveled from far away, they couldn't bring their little sheep with them. So 
they would buy it typically on the Mount of Olives where there was a bunch of stores. Well, you see what happened. The priests got in control of this concept. And so they shut down all the stores on Passover time that were over there on the Mount of Olives. And they opened up their stores in the temple. The only area within the temple where a Gentile could come to know about God. The only place in the temple where they could come and pray. And in that place, they filled it with money changers. Because you can't spend your filthy Roman money in here. you got to exchange it. The exchange rate was 25% more. When you change your money, it cost you 25%. The price of the animals was exorbitantly high. Instead of it being a thing of joy for people to come and worship God, which is what it's supposed to be when we come into the house of God, it was a drudgery. It was a bummer. It was a drag. It was an irritant. So these people would come to worship God, and in their heart they're like, man, I can't believe these prices. You know what they Are they thinking about the Lord? And God wasn't happy about it. So he came. On the day he said he would come in Daniel 9. And he cleaned it out. Because it's his house. He has the right. It's his place. So he cleaned it out. He cleaned out the the money changers. He pushed them out of the way. He said this shall be a house. My house shall be a place of prayer. For he is God. He is God. Listen our Lord's actions in cleansing the temple were intended to reveal to all of Israel that the real enemy was within and not without. He did not go to the Romans. He did not start arguments with the soldiers. He went to the temple. And he said, you're calling me as your king because you want me to get rid of all that stuff on the outside, but I'm telling you, I can't get rid of this stuff on the outside because it's more important to fix the inside. And the religion that you have... Isn't any good. Because you're teaching the traditions of men as the commandments of God. So he cleaned it out. And he's saying, in essence, the biggest problem, the biggest need, the biggest issue in your life, his kingdom is not the kind they suppose where he would give them the land and they'd have all that stuff back. Because he did not come to deal with the oppressors of Rome. But with the opponents of true religion, the self-righteous, the ones who think, you know, they're the ones who make the group called normal. Right? They're the ones who decide whether or not you can be part of their group. I'll make you a deal. You'd be part of my group anytime. I don't want to be a part of their stupid group. Who are they to tell me I'm acceptable? All the, needs, all the only words I need to hear from whether or not I'm acceptable is from God. And it's in that book, open on your lap. How to be found acceptable to God. Simple. Put your faith and trust in the one he sent, Jesus Christ. And he will set us free. Then the scripture goes on as he cleansed the temple. Look what happened in verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. The blind and the lame. Guys, that's the people they wouldn't let come. You can't come. You're not perfect. Well, that's the word said. If you're not perfect, you can't come before God. 
But when Jesus was there, man, there was no such thing as a blind. There was no such thing as a lame. There was no such thing as the sick. Because when they walked up to him, they were no longer blind. They were no longer lame. They were no longer hurting in any way. He touched the outcast and made them the incast. He threw out all the people who were trying to make money off of religion. And he said, this is the truth about what I've come to do. And we see it in his compassion. And we see it in his coronation. It wasn't a big show. And we see it in how he cleansed the temple. In the same way that he cleansed the temple here, he wants to cleanse our temple. He wants to cleanse us, overturn the tables, and make us right with him. It's his desire. The scripture goes on. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna, the son of David. So here, the, here comes the religionists. The religionists, they come out and they're looking around and they go, oh, she just threw out all the money changers. I don't know why he thinks he has the authority to do that here in the house of God. He's thrown out that and now we got kids running up and down the aisle and they're just singing songs and having fun. Somebody needs to stop that. <laughs> we don't know more of that. No more joy and happiness. It's Passover for crying out loud. It's a somber time. Somber. The little kids are having fun. (laughs) And Jesus said, Jesus said, Haven't you ever read from the mouth of babes he has perfected praise? He said, man. Jesus was stoked. He looked around and he saw people who were outcasts being allowed in. And entering into a relationship with Almighty God. He saw children who when they came to the place of worship were celebrating instead of thinking, oh, don't make me go to church again. And he rejoiced over it all. He rejoiced over it all. Listen, listen to what Matthew is telling us. Listen. Here we see what a relationship, the difference between a relationship with God and religion is. This is it. Instead of the sound of bartering voices fighting over prices, there was the chorus of children singing praises. Instead of profiteering, Jesus healed the outcasts and those who had no relationship with him. Instead of the sound of sheep and cattle everywhere, there was the voice of Jesus teaching men what they need to be saved that's the difference that's a coronation we can all get behind that's a leader we can all worship and that's what Jesus Christ came to be on the day God came to church in their form to show them what church ought to be listen as we're closing and as we're thinking about this just just listen to this 
If God comes in that door and He walks into church today, are we being what He wants us to be? The Bible says He's not a respecter of persons. He loves everybody the same. He's not afraid to call you a sinner because you are. If that offends you, get over it. You're a sinner. He comes to set you free from your sin. All you have to do is agree with him. Yeah, you're right, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. If he come walking in here, is there a lot of cleansing he has to do? Is he going to kick over the guitar amp and throw out the drums? Some people think he would. Or would he pick it up? Would he lead us in praise? Listen, we're to be a representative of what a true relationship with Christ is. My prayer, every time somebody walks in that door, somebody give them a hug. Whether they're clean or dirty or smell bad or smell good, I don't care. Because Jesus didn't. He loved on them all. He had compassion. He didn't exalt his own name. And he kept his house clean. Man, I pray we keep our house clean and all that religion. I want religion. I want Jesus. Amen. Give me Jesus. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, Almighty, we thank you for this time and we seek your face. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for what your word declares, God. And just that desire, Lord, we want to we see you as you are. We want to see you the way the Bible speaks of you. As God of very God who became flesh. Fully God, fully man. The great kenosis, he took off all the emblems of his royalty. And he rode a donkey into the city because he's humble. And he said, I want you to follow me. You had compassion on the sick. You had compassion on the outcast. May we have compassion on him. doesn't mean we overlook sin. It means we have compassion to feel hurt. For their situation. And to be able to extend a hand. That says let me help you up. Out of the pit brother. Oh Lord if we would. Desire to keep. Our temple clean. What's in my heart Lord. It needs to be you. All you. Only you. That's why the psalmist declared, Search me. See if there be any wicked way in me. and Lead me in the way everlasting. Cleanse me, Lord. Come into this temple, my heart. Overturn the tables. Overturn the dumb things that are going on and the bad ideas that I have. Kick out what you got to kick out. Make me right with you. That's relational. Man, Lord, it's our prayer that you would move in this way today. 
And that each of us, God, we would put ourselves in that place, shouting, Hosanna, save me now, Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I surrender. It's all for you. So I must decrease and he must increase. May you be increased in this place. As we gather as your church, may you be increased here. May we see you, celebrate you, rejoice in you, and realize we can only come to the Father through the Son. Ah, Lord God, just move in us, among us, and through us as we honor you and give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.